holding my hand a map of the great state of Arkansas. I started reading maps when I was nine years old, traveling around the country with my grandparents. Traveled to 36 different country, uh, excuse me, uh, states, 36 different states before I was 13, and they taught me how to read one of these. This is before the GPS. Uh, but as I was uh, learning how to read this, I would mark on these maps where we have been and where we're going, and I would anticipate the future, and I would reflect on the past. And as you think about maps, they're pretty cool in the sense that you can kind of chart out, start, you've got to know where you're starting from, all right? Let's just get that straight. You've got to know where you're starting from, and it's really helpful to know where you're going. Uh, there's a lot of people in life that don't necessarily know where they're going, and they're hitting kind of all over the place, and there's some adventure in that, some value in that maybe. But, you know, if you're wanting to go from Jonesboro to Texarkana or, or Bentonville to, to, to Lake Village and you know, whatever it is that where you're going, it's good to know where you're going to map that out. And the great thing about maps is they let you kind of know uh, the uh, the course that you're going to take. They let you know the, the road that you're going to take. Uh, and if, if, it's a, if it's a map of the world, if you're going to be able to fly there or boat there or, or whatever it is, you know, we kind of get everywhere in, in cars and, and so forth, whether it's plane, trains, or automobiles, whatever it is, the maps become pretty valuable to us. Maps can get us from point A to point B. And when you think about worship, I want us to think about it as a journey, as a pathway to God, if you will, that we are in pursuit of and hopefully in relationship with the God who created it all. And may that overwhelm us. May that cause us to get lost in Him as we think and we journey forward. It's a day-to-day mystical journey with God. Because there's no way, there's not enough maps in the world to map God out and to figure God out and, and who He is and what He's all about. But, but if we could just get into the frame of mind that to go with God is like a journey. And to experience Him is, is, is like looking at the natural wonders of the world. And when you've gone to the Grand Canyon, if you've ever gone, and oh yeah, you must go. It will take your breath away. Whatever you're talking about, whatever's distracting you before you get there, whatever's consuming you before you get there, when you get to the Grand Canyon, everything stops. It happened in our car when we got there. And all of a sudden you look over the edge, you can't say anything. What if worship was like that? On a journey, onto the, to the Grand Canyon, onto the Grand God that He is, and when we get there, everything else stops. And we just look at Him. And we're in awe of Him. The problem is that worship has the potential of becoming a meaningless human event, a program, a performance, something that is some aimless journey, if you will. It, it, worship can, can be controversial. In fact, I, I would say that in American churches, it can be the most controversial thing. It can be a consumer kind of mentality where we consume worship instead of giving worship. And what, a, what, a, what an era that is to think that worship is something that I get, I, I, I consume on Sunday morning. Man, have we really lost it at that juncture. It's controversial. It's, consume, it's a consumer product. It's confusing for some. 
When you get into some worship services and they're doing certain things and you don't understand it, and are there, we, we use Christianese. We start talking about you know sanctification or redemption or or or, 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 or that, that the king washed us in the blood of the lamb, and it can become confusing to some. So worship is not just some easy track across the street for, but for some it's quite complicated, full of potholes, full of detours, full of distractions. A.W. Tozer said it like this, in the average church service, the most real thing is the shadowy unreality of everything. And again, we struggle, I think, with something that is absolutely one of the foundations of life to, to worship God. It's one of our, in this five-month journey that we're on, this trek, if you will, this expedition that we're on as a church, it's one of the foundations, it's the very first one that we're going to talk about throughout all the month of January, the idea and the concept and the journey and the expedition and the foundation of worship, who He is and who we're not. 75% of, though, what I read on worship today, no less than 75%, has to do more with style than it does, does substance. I would say that out of 90% of the controversies that you, that you, that you are complaints that I get in the church, somewhere around 90% has to do with style versus substance. When you look at the questions that people ask me when they call and they want to talk about the church, they want to know what kind of church we are, 100% are questions related to style versus substance. We can sometimes lose the forest in the midst of the trees. We can sometimes make the, the minor things the major things and the major things the minor things, and we can get really lost in it. Rick Warren said it like this, you prefer style, your preferred style of worship says more about your cultural background than your theology. Substance always trumps style. Style is important, but substance always trumps style. Your, your, your style does develop the church's identities, so it is a legitimate question, but when it's the first question, when it's the main topic of conversation, the style, then I think we are missing it. We are missing the boat. The style comes from our context. Our, our context is the environment in which we live. We don't worship like Africans, all right? Because we don't meet in the middle of the night, or we don't meet at night, and we don't meet around the campfire, and, and we don't dance our way uh, up to the, to, to, to the campfire and, and worship the night away. We don't worship like Africans. We, we worship like Americans. And sometimes we worship the wrong things in our American culture. We end up worshiping style over substance again. Eddie Gibbs in the book Church Next, he said, Worship is always contextualized so that no one style should be regarded as normative or more spiritual than the other. I don't care if you come from the high church or the low church or the organized church or the disorganized church. I don't care if you have bands or you have organs. You can worship in whatever the environment is. The style, though, sometimes becomes the major issue. When Jesus was born, put on flesh and dwelt among men, he came into a style. He came into a context. He put on the style of the Greco-Roman world. He lived in that. He didn't put on a suit and some Armani's. He didn't put on some kind of fancy shoes. He, he, did. he put on sandals and a robe. 
He lived in that context. The context determines the style. Okay? And the style will give the church an identity. Hang with me on this because this is important. It's important because it's been an issue in the church for a long, long time. Take your Bibles. Be finding the book of John. Actually, I would say even before the church was the church, Jesus was dealing with the issue of style versus substance. And if we're going to talk, and we're going to take an entire month, and we're going to talk about worship, and for us not to come and to dive into this delicate for some, controversial for others, consuming issue for, for others, then I think it would do a great injustice. And us to not even recognize that Jesus himself, whenever he encountered a woman, now this woman was a little bit of a different lifestyle than probably we want our children to grow up to, to live like. She was a Samaritan, and that wasn't the angst against her, but it was her lifestyle. He, Jesus being a Jew, and the Samaritan being this, this mix of a, a Syrian versus a Jew, kind of mixed in together, the Jews... There was great racial tension between the two, okay? A pure-blooded Jew and a Samaritan. They even, the, Samaritan the Jews called a Samaritan a half-dog. That's how much they loved each other. And Samaria was just about 45 miles north of, uh, of Jerusalem. And Jesus and most, most Jews would not pass through Samaria. In fact, that's where you take the long cut around. You go the long way around. You miss that. You don't go through Samaria. But Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. And when he gets to Samaria, he leans up against a well and, and waits for the disciples. They, they go in to get some food in, in, into town. And despite the racial tension, a Samaritan woman comes up to the same well where Jesus is. And he asks her for water. And you see this conversation, a very familiar passage of Scripture. This conversation ensues back and forth. And Jesus brings it around to talking about her family life. He knew the hot button issue. He's still God in the flesh, and he knew what was going on in her life. And he said, well, you know, let's, let's talk about family talk. Well, let's not talk about family talk. It's pretty much what she would have rather not done. Because when he asked about her husband, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, unknown to her, knew everything about her. He said, yeah, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. You talk about a Samaritan going white as a sheet. All of a sudden now she's encountering herself in front of this man who she's never met before, and he's talking about her lifestyle and so forth. All of a sudden she's wanting to change the topic, all right? She's wanting to, to divert the issue. Let's move on. And the topic of her family never comes up again. She wants to start talking about another issue. Now, some people say it was uh, a, a diversion, that, that he was just trying to get Jesus off course and, and to think about something else. But some people believe that actually what she was so much under conviction, she knew that this man was more than just a man. In fact, she says that. She says, you're a prophet. You know things that many other people don't know, especially people I've never met before. You, you, you've got some insight here. And that's where we want to pick up in the story. In John chapter 4, begin reading with me in uh, verse 19. It said, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Then she starts talking about the issue. Now, again, I want to give you the context. 
The context is this is not what the main issue was. The main issue was water and never thirsting again and and her family life. That was what Jesus was talking to her about. But then as she changes the topic, she changes the subject. She says, let's talk about another issue. She said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and and is now here when the true worshipers, notice that true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit, And in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The the issue here that that she brings up is a is a a stylistic issue, if you will. In fact, I want to I want to point out that there are basically two maps for worship. There's some that, that really kind of focus on the style. That's out there. They choose a church based on the style. It's all about style. Style is that 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 surface element that again it, it needs to be matched the context of the culture that in which it is, but it it doesn't. It's not the it's not the mainstay. But for her, it was it was the it was the main issue. Here she is. She's a Samaritan woman, and and, and she's talking about where do I worship? And the, the story is is that Mount Gerizim was where the where the Samaritans worshipped. That was where they had their private temple, where the Samaritans would go. But it was Mount Moriah or Mount Zion that was where the Jews worshipped. So she was stuck in the middle. She says, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You say we ought to worship on that mountain. My fathers, which is Abraham and Jacob, have all built altars on this mountain, which is the right one. Where do we go? And Jesus says, that's not the most important thing. You're making something that is... That is, the number one question, if you had to ask God, would it be, where do you worship? How do you worship? That's the number one question I get when I get asked about worship styles and worship things. Is, is what kind of worship style is yours? Is it blended? Is it ancient future? Is it contemporary? Do you have a band? Do you not have a band? Do you have a choir? All these stylistic things become the main issue in people's lives. She wanted to know what mountain, because... By all means, the Jews did not welcome the Samaritans on Mount Zion. In fact, a Samaritan would look at Mount Zion and they'd say, I would rather worship nowhere than worship on that dunghill. That was what they believed about the Jewish Mount Zion. But again, likewise, the Jews did not like Mount Mount Gerizim either. So you have this going back and forth. And here's the statement that I really want us to key in on. Because when style is the number one issue, which is what it was for this woman. Notice what Jesus said to her. He says, you worship. You worship. You're worshiping something. You worship what you do not know. See, somebody has said it very well. They said that everyone worships, and we do. Worship means to give value to something, to hold something up in high regard. And for some people... It's God. For other people's, it's style. For other people's, it's money. For other people, it's, it's their car. For other, there's so many things that we might worship out there. 
that we might ascribe honor to. And, and the thing is, is that start, now you start coming into the church, and guess what? You have the same problem where style becomes what we worship. Style becomes the number one issue out there. Is it ancient future? Is it blended? Is it contemporary? Is it traditional? And it, we end up trading the authentic for the synthetic. We end up worshiping style versus worshiping our Savior. And we end up being like this Samaritan woman, not knowing really what we are worshiping. I think there are two questions that we need to ask ourselves to see whether or not we are those who are caught up in worshiping styles. Do you value tradition over people? Is one important question. Do you value tradition over people? Again, for 200 years is how long it was that, that the Samaritans had worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Now, the Samaritans, let me just give you the brief history on this. They were the ones who remained as the remnant in, in, in Jerusalem and in Israel when the Assyrians came in and exiled most of the Israelis, most of the Jewish people. And those who remained behind were the remnant, those who remained in Jerusalem. They ended up intermarrying with the Assyrians. Well, that was a no-no. All right, And so in that no-no, they, born out of that, were the Samaritan people. So for 200 years, they're remaining, or in fact for longer than that, it's the Samaritans who are remaining there in Jerusalem. And then 200 years prior to Jesus' encounter here, the Jews are coming back and they're going to rebuild their temple. And they don't like the Samaritans. And they don't like them for 200 years. And they don't like where they're worshiping. We're going to worship over here. And they start creating this divide. And for 200 years, they're doing it this way. And listen, you do something for 200 days, it becomes a habit. You do something for 200 years, it's really going to be a habit. You're generation after generation after generation. You're going to think this is biblical. And it's not. Many times it may be traditional. When we moved to Africa, we thought there was only one way to do church. I grew up doing church this way. We met in a square building. We met in rows called pews. And we sang three hymns. We had announcements. We had an offering. We had a sermon. And that's the way we did church. And that's the way we tried to teach Africans to do church. Meet in a square building, in rows with a, with, a, with a steeple. You know what? Africans meet in circles outside under the stars. They don't meet in buildings. But I thought that's the way you do church. You've got to have a building to do it that way. You don't. And all of a sudden, our traditions become what drive us and become the number one issue. It was Jesus talking with the Pharisees. He says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Beware that our traditions don't usurp. Style doesn't trump substance. The world is watching us. And when our traditions, listen to this, when our traditions become our mainstay, our driving force, we actually hinder worship being a witness. I have so many stories I can tell you, but I, I'll say, I'll, I can't for the sake of time. Let me, let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25. If someone believe, unbelieving walk, outsider walks in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, there's going, they are going to be face to face before God, recognizing that God is among you. Do you realize that if we worship substance and not style, 
The unbelieving world can easily walk into Grace Point Church and realize as we are worshiping the true and almighty God, as we are absolutely in love with Him, the world will look and say, there's something about those people. But when they come in and they're arguing and debating over style and things that really don't matter, am I going to worship on that hill or that hill? You know, when we get into those kind of conversations and those become the main issues of the conversation, then we are truly missing it. There's a lady who recently wrote me an email. I want to read you the email. I'll say, I'll change the names to protect the, the people, the confidentiality. But this is what the email says. Good morning, Mike. My name is, and I was in Bentonville, Arkansas for the holidays. I live in Los Angeles, California. My family started going to your church, and they brought me there. Now listen to this next statement. Well, I'm really not the church kind of person. I was, however, impressed with your church. I was just wondering if you knew of a church out here that I would be able to go. The reason I enjoyed your sermons, the church is that you didn't preach word for word from the Bible. You spoke from your heart and experiences. Also, how everyone, especially you, had dressed casual in jeans. I cried at both sermons. Now, I don't know if it's the jeans or me in jeans or the sermons or what. I attended and joked with my family saying that it was the devil coming out of me. I'm not a bad person. I just don't attend church out here. You know, I read that email and I thought, this is a person who saw style, who saw things, but also heard substance. Let's not let the stylistic things become the hindrances to worship. Our traditions, are they biblical? Are they rooted? Are they becoming hindrances to our obeying? Here's the second question. Do you value places over Jesus? Notice that Jesus said, neither on this mountain or any other mountain. Now, he's, he's saying that the Jews aren't right even on this one. He said, yeah, the Jews would be from which the nation would be born. It's not nationalism that he's talking about here. He's talking about the Savior would be born. But he said, it's, not, it's going to be on neither one of these mountains that we, will, that we will see salvation. Salvation is from the Jews. I'm afraid that sometimes, though, we get caught up in places. Now, if you were with Grace Point Church for five and eight and a half years that we've existed, we lived out of a suitcase. And those who are with us know that it's not about the place. But there's a, there's a sad thing that happens in our American culture when we start building these edifices called buildings. And we make it about the place. And all of a sudden there's no money to be the hands and feet of Jesus any longer. Thank God that we, I think, have a very functional toolbox here that we can use for God. And it's not taken away and distracted, but let us be very careful that we don't make worship about a place, that we don't make worship about our traditions. And there's so many other things that can distract us. Francis Schaeffer said it like this. Let me say firmly that there is no such thing as the godly style or ungodly style. There's Rick Warren who said this in his Purpose Driven Church. He said, debates over worship style are almost always Sociological personality debates couched in theological terms. She's worried about styles. I want to quickly move now to the substance. Because if you want to talk about what real worship looks like, it's not going to be found necessarily in the traditions of generation after generation after generation. You're not going to find it in the building. 
You're going to find it in the real substance of what worship is. And that's what Jesus tries to turn this lady to focus on. He, he, he tries to get her past this, this peripheral stuff. Worship is personal and communal. It's private and public. It's individual. It's corporate. It's so many things. And let me, let me just read this, this verse to you again. Because I want you to underscore this and just remember this. Neither on this mountain or on the mountain in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Do we really know what we're worshiping? For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people. Let me say this to you today. You want to know who God is looking for? He is looking for people to worship Him. It's all about worshiping Him. We do missions because we want to raise up worshipers. Everything is about Him. I heard a statement just recently in the Perspectives class. It's, it's not, missions is not about depopulating hell. It's about His glory. And that's a powerful statement. It, it's about His glory and it's about Him getting worshipped. He is out seeking worshipers. Will we be the worshiper that He will find? Now, he mentions it twice here, so you've got to get it down. If he mentions it once, I kind of miss it sometimes. But he mentions it twice, I tend to catch it. He says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. He says it twice. And I want to say that, that today that there are, there are two elements of worship. There are two sources, if you will, of worship. There's a subjective source and there's an objective source of worship. And this is where you have to really bring it to the table. You have to bring yourself to the table. Is the subjective side of worship. That subjective worship is that spirit. He says, you must worship me in spirit. Now, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's not even talking about the spirit of God. He's talking about your spirit and my spirit. You know what? I hope today, and there's nothing I can do. Again, what we do at Grace Point Church, all we do is create environments, time, and space. I said that last week. Environments, time, and space. All right? We hopefully have created an environment today. We have space, and we're on time. You bring the worship. I bring the worship. I feel time and space. I feel the environment with worship. And what he says is Jesus, God, God the Father, is looking for, seeking, longing after roaming throughout the earth to gather up worshipers who worship Him in spirit. And here's the question I have for you today, because worship is a mystical experience. Does your spirit connect with God's spirit? Do you come in here week after week? Do you go throughout your days? Do you worship Him with your spirit? Is there, is there a connection that's going on inside of you? Between you and God. Sometimes I'm afraid our worship is a lot like the Wizard of Oz. You think of the Tin Man and the Scarecrow. The Tin Man, he wanted a heart. The Scarecrow, what did he want? You remember? A brain. All right? He wanted a brain. And I'm afraid sometimes our worship is lacking heart. We're like the Tin Man. We come in here and, and it's all about 
It's all about thinking about worship and, and debating about we, we lack heart. We lack that, that intimate love, passionate relationship with God. And so whenever it comes to worship, it's so empty and it's all about consumerism. It's all about critiquing. It's all about the confusion. And we have nothing to offer when our hearts should be full. Should be full of a relationship with Him, and and guys, this is, this is mystical. This is a spiritual relationship you have with Him, and that's why it's so much impossible for an unbeliever to worship someone who's not following Christ. So your worship will be full or it will be empty, not based on whether the band was good or bad, or the message was long or short. It's whether or not our spirit is full. And sometimes we can look at our faces and say. Just how empty we are. The gauge, the fuel gauge of our spirit is sometimes just in how we worship or the lack thereof. But it's also like the, it's like the scarecrow who's, who needs a brain. Worship is not only subjective where I have an intimate relationship with God and I'm bringing that intimate relationship to God in worship, but it's also about an objective element where, where my life is, in, is encountering the Word and the person of God. My, my life comes together at this junction and I'm meeting up with God and His truth is there. See, Jesus declared in John 14:6 that He was the truth. And then in John 17, 17, He prays that His disciples would be sanctified in the truth. Thy word is truth. So we have two things here. What's truth? And here we are in a day of non-absolute truth. So it really gets confusing, doesn't it? It muddles it up a little bit. But Jesus said He is truth. And then he prayed for his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. What we have here is we have, when you marry those two together, we have truth is God. And truth is his word. There's an element that of, of our worship that is supposed to be subjective. I'm bringing myself. I'm in an intimate relationship with God. I am offering up myself to God. There's also a part of me that is a part of my worship where I am hearing and I am encountering and I am experiencing the truth of His Word. It is the power that transforms us, that makes a difference in us, that, that revolutionizes It's the substance of the worship. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, When I declare the Word of God, I offer sacrifices. When thou hearest the Word of God, with all thy heart thou offer sacrifices. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 that says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I have gone nowhere of significance in my life. I have got out of no deep depression in my life. I've had no real substantive encounter with God in my life that it has not centered on, been birthed from the Word of God. Listen, I... I sometimes want to call myself a Baptocostal because I wish I had the heart of a Pentecostal, but I like the head of a Baptist. So if I could somehow marry those two together. I think a few Baptists need to go hang out with some Pentecostals, some Pentecostals need to hang out with some Baptists. And they need to learn the value of the subjective element of worship that my spirit is excited, his spirit is in my spirit, and it ought to be leaping for joy. Enthusiasm means God within. But then we need to come on the other side and we say, you know what? What does God's truth say? How's my life being transformed by His truth? How am I encountering His truth? It's mystical and abstract is what worship is. But it's also factual and concrete. 
It's mystical and, and abstract and that my spirit is engaging with his spirit and, and it's a mystical relationship. It's abstract. I can't put my arms around it. But I know it's there. And if it's all about your head, you're missing it with your heart. And if it's all about your heart, you're missing it with your head. You've got to see that it's spirit and it's truth. It's truth and it's spirit. And this book right here is the map that's going to get us there. I like maps. I, like, I told you I like playing with maps. I'm kind of an old-fashioned guy when it comes to maps over GPSs. There's something about a woman telling you at every turn where you got to turn that I just, I'm just kind of sexist on that end. Uh, or cheap one. I'm hoping the TomTom. I mean, anything named Tom has got to be a male voice. I don't know. If you all have a TomTom, let me know if it's a, a male voice. No, really, uh, it's not. I enjoy the maps. There's something about holding the maps. And maps are great tools to kind of get through the road or the journey, or you go hiking. Let me tell you about a hiking trip I did in the fall with, with Joshua. In fact, it was Joshua and his cousins, and we went out on this survivor campout. And uh, it was uh, two men, and my, my younger brother and myself, and then, and then Joshua and his cousins. And I think there were six of us all total. And it was everything. We packed everything in, and we, we couple miles down to the lake. It was out in the Hobbs Estate. And it was this, this, this journey that we took down in, right by the lake. And then we built our campfire. We built our shelter. And we killed our food. And we, we ate a rabbit stew that night. It was, it was a true man kind of hangout time. And we had this little map that we picked up when we entered into the, into the grounds. And maps are great. Again, when they are at scale... And it's really helpful when you go hiking if you have a topo map, all right, because that lets you know where the hills and the valleys and the, all that. Anyway, we had to leave it early that morning, uh, Joshua and I did, because he had a football game. He had football pictures that morning, and so we left the rest of them there. And my brother, who's uh, a former Marine and Army man and can compass his way anywhere in the world, and he got us there, and I was, it was my job, preacher boy, uh, to get us out. And so uh, I had this flimsy map. And I said, all right, Sam, show me how to go, and I'll get on the trail, and I'll not get off of it. And so that's exactly what I did. As I got on the trail, and we, we went for a long time. But then I was looking at the map. I said, you know what? We're going to go way down here, and we're going to wrap around, all this kind of stuff. And I don't know what all that wrap around stuff was. And so I said, you know, we can just, I think just on the top of this hill is going to be where our, 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 my Jeep is. And so we can just get over there. And so we, it was a little bit of a scaling, and we got up, and of course, you know, they haven't cleaned up from all the ice storm. And all, so there's tree limbs down. And so we're hiking. It made it a little bit more adventuresome. And so we got in there and got back there. And, and it wasn't one hill. It was one hill and a ravine. It was another hill and a ravine. And, uh, and by this time, I'm sucking on my water. And we're running short on water. And Joshua, 10-year-old's with me with his backpack. And... I'm trying not to sweat, and I'm trying not to show that I'm a little bit fearful of this because all I see are trees everywhere around. I mean, I haven't been off the, off the course, the track, very long at all, but I, I'm lost in Hobbs and I'm going to die in my own backyard. I mean, how heroic is that? If I climb Mount Everest or something like that, that would be one thing. But I'm going to die in my own backyard. And I didn't let Joshua know this. Now, by this time, I'm what should have been a... Two-hour track, I'm about near three hours, and I'm going to be late for Joshua's football game and picture. So Lori calls me. We did have cell phone reception out there in the middle of nowhere. And so she calls me. She says, where are you at? She says, he's going to be late for his pictures. 
I'm like, I want to hold the phone out and say, I'm dying out here, and you're worried about pictures. I mean, take my picture now, okay? Um, anyway, we finally, I hang up the phone, and I hear Highway 12 that way. And so I was heading this way. And you know how easy it is to get lost really easy when you just see trees and you're gutting around all these other trees. Anyway, so I hear Highway 12. I said, we're going to go to the highway. And we're going to get on the highway. And we're just going to walk the highway back up. And sure enough, by the time we got to the highway, which was 200 yards that way, we got there and my Jeep was another 100 yards that way. We were within the area. We would, I might have died within a few more yards, but we were there. But you know what is amazing? When I chose to go a little bit off the map, how much I went from confidence, survivor, eating rabbit stew in the middle of nowhere and sleeping under the stars in the rain at night, to feeling like I was going to die. Uh, no, not exactly die. I felt like I was not in a good situation. I was trying to let my 10-year-old know about it. point is, is that God's given us a map. And we can try to figure God out all we want. And we can try to create God in our own image. And we can make God about places and traditions. Or we can know God. We can clear away all the extra junk about God. And we can come back to this very simple fact. That we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And I would hope today that you have a spirit relationship with God. Because if you don't, the only way I can explain to you, it is very mystical, it is very abstract but it is very life-changing. And so maybe today you just need to clear away the clutter of your life and just have a spirit encounter with Him. Or maybe you just need to come to the truth and realize that, hey, what you've been thinking about and shopping for in a church is really all about style. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Father God, we bow before You. And we ask that You clean up, show us, Lord, in our life the things that are just poor imitations of what real worship is. Help us in this moment. Help us in this hour to learn and to practice worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.